The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. Uh, many of you are already uh, doing so, but if you haven't yet, let me invite you to take out your hand and open your Bible. If you need a Bible, uh, get one from the pew rack there in front of you. And we are turning to Genesis 17. We're finishing Genesis 17 this morning. And uh, so far in 2019, uh, we have been studying together the life of Abraham, the faith of our father, Abraham, starting back in chapter 12. We have followed Abraham now through 75 years of his fits and starts of believing in and trusting God's promises. And the helpful thing, I think, for us is that we have seen Abraham walk through both the highs and lows of receiving and trusting God's promises. And that's helpful for us because both uh, you and I also experience that same thing, don't we? We struggle to live out the fullness of our Christian life all the time. There are times we might say that we are on the mountaintop and God is ever as real to us as he ever has been and our heart burns with a desire to live for him and love Christ and follow him where he calls us. And then there are other times when uh, perhaps the name of Jesus uh, seems to move us very little. And it is somewhat of a reality, isn't it, that in the Christian life we experience these peaks and valleys, but God is ever-present. He is ever-present with his covenant to assure us that we are his people and that the measure of our faith, whether strong or weak, is not what matters most but rather the faithfulness of a God who clings to us with a covenant promise saying, I will be your God. And no matter your wanderings and no matter your failures and no matter your inconsistencies, my grace will carry you. This is the God who called Abraham back in chapter 12. And uh, the major portions of this narrative that we've been studying together in Genesis uh, are found in chapters 12, 15, and 17. These are really the highlight chapters of the narrative of Abraham. Of course, in chapter 12, God called Abraham uh, out of Ur of the Chaldeans, out of a life of paganism to serve the one true and living God. And Abraham obeyed that call in chapter 12. And then in chapter 15, after a couple of seasons of difficulties, chapter 15 is where God formally gives to Abraham the covenant, promising Abram and his descendants, do you remember those three aspects of the covenant? Land, seed, and blessing. We've been repeating those every single week to remind ourselves that God has promised Abram to give to him a promised land, a promised posterity, future generations of believers, uh, and also a blessing to go out into all the nations through Abraham. So land, seed, and blessing in chapter 15. And then in chapter 17, what we saw earlier on was that God gives a sign, a visible pledge to that covenant so that Abram might bear literally in his flesh the sign 
of those future generations and bearing the promise that through the faithful transmission of the covenant blessings, there would be future generations of believers to worship and serve the one true and living God as Abraham would carry on the faithful inheritance to the future generations. We've been seeing all of this together, but now what we come to at the end of chapter 17 is another moment perhaps where we can identify a, a moment of struggle, a, a moment of difficulty in embracing all that God has said. And, and just like Abraham, we too struggle to embrace all that God has said to us, sometimes because we just simply don't believe that it could be true. We're given to doubt, perhaps, that God would really be with us all the time in everything. We struggle perhaps to doubt that in our seasons of afflictions when it seems that we are uh, under the cloud of a frowning providence that God is at work in our lives still and we question, you know, God, what, what are you doing and how could you possibly at work in this or in that? And yet God shows himself faithful. But Abraham is going to learn a lesson here that we need to learn as well that sometimes we view God to be too small. We view him to be too small. That is, we view him to be less than all that he is in his fullness of covenant-keeping faithfulness and believe somehow that God will be or may be presently asleep at the wheel. And that is not the case. Abraham has to learn that lesson through difficulty, and sometimes you and I do as well. Nevertheless, we want to see that God is great and glorious and faithful and covenant-keeping, and so, Lord willing, we'll see that together in Genesis 17. So first, let's ask God's blessing upon his word, and then we will read it together. Our great God, we bow before you and confess from our hearts that as you have given us faith, we believe this book to be your word to us, living and active, able to pierce the innermost parts of our soul and our beings, and so, Lord, we pray that, that as your spirit so moved Moses to record these words, we pray that that same spirit might rest upon our minds to illuminate and give understanding. That same spirit might rest upon our hearts to, to pierce and show us where we have been unfaithful and perhaps not trusting. And Lord, through your word today, would you do a wonderful work in our midst to make us a more faithful people to make us a people in your image. And so, Lord, come and work powerfully through your word this morning, we pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. And now hear God's word from Genesis in chapter 17, beginning in verse 15 through the end of the chapter. This is the word of God. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? 
And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house or brought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, And he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. And all the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever and ever. So I want to encourage you to keep your Bible open there as we seek to understand what God is doing in Abraham's life and also by extension ours as well. And what I want us to do actually with this last third of this chapter is, uh, is do just two things, uh, the first of which is to, to see the narrative outline of the text and to work through the text and see this big idea, this, this big idea that God's plan to fulfill his promises far outseeds, far exceeds Abraham's expectations. God's plans to fulfill his promises far exceeds Abraham's expectations and in reality ours as well. That's really the, the main point of this last third of chapter 17, that God is doing something great, seemingly impossible, and in that God is great and grand and glorious in his providence. So we want to see that first of all, but then uh, there really is something of a point of warning in this text. There really is something of a stinging rebuke and a caution that is very serious. And uh, I want us to to see how that lays into this chapter, what is really behind the significance of what Genesis 17 is saying to us. So we're just going to first look at the narrative events and and understand how God is continuing to work out his promises, but then also see in in very serious way uh, a very strong word of caution to us as the people of God. So first, let's, let's see his unfolding promise and see that it is far greater than we ever expected. And we see that, first of all, in verses six, 15 and 16, uh, where God is speaking to Abraham continually, uh, but here as with reference to Sarah, Abram's wife. 
Uh, of course, uh, earlier on in chapter 17, uh, Abram has been renamed to Abraham, uh, to the father of nations, and now his wife Sarah is also being renamed from Sarai to Sarah, a name which means uh, princess or heroine uh, in very strong fashion. A strong statement is being made about this woman, Sarah, who is to be the matriarch of the people of God. That just as Abraham is this great patriarch of the people of God, so also Sarah as well. And this is actually the first time in these narratives of Abraham, starting from chapter 12, that Sarah is being addressed to specifically as included in God's plan for these wonderful promises. That Abraham hears very clearly that it will be by Sarah that this covenant inheritance will come this this child this seed to bless the nations that it will be by sarah's own womb and just like we saw earlier in chapter 17 uh, look at verse 6 from chapter 17 chapter 17 verse 6 says abram i will make you exceedingly fruitful and i will make you into nations and kings shall come from you and do you see how the same thing is repeated here now in uh, verses 15 and 16 Verse 16, I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her, and I will bless her, and she shall become nations, kings of people shall come from her. And so uh, I think sometimes there is this temptation to think that the Bible discredits uh, females in some way or another. I want us to see clearly that a great honor is given to Sarah as the matriarch of the people of God, that through her nations shall be blessed along with Abraham to bear forth kings and rulers, and she shall be blessed as the blessing of God goes forth from her, the royal matriarch, Sarah. This is the unfolding purposes of God. But that approaches Abraham, and his response is, suffice it to say, somewhat uh, incredulous, isn't it? Verses 17 and 18. Abraham <laughs> falls on his face in laughter. And I think we should read that not just as a, you know, a collapsing into some kind of mocking hilarity of laughter, but the, the joining together of what is at the one moment a, a reverential action to prostrate oneself before God, but with this mixture of laughter, right? Because Abraham knew, Abraham knew that he was going to be the father, but, but this is the first mention that it will be by Sarah. The thought seems, of course, utterly impossible, and so Abraham naturally laughs because the whole thing it just seems seems impossible abraham is 99 years old and sarah is 90 years old and how could this possibly be now notice what he does in response to this god is unfolding these promises and the deeper we get into the narrative the more detail we get about how god is going to unfold these incredible promises and you would have thought that abraham has learned by now that god can do the impossible but Abraham is always trying to advance God with a, a plan B. That God says, Abraham, this will be so. And Abraham says, well, then if that's going to be true, it's going to come about by, by this way. And he does it here, but he's already done it, actually. Back in chapter 15, do you remember in chapter 15 when God had promised Abraham an heir to his house 
and uh, a posterity for his generations. Abraham, who had no children back in chapter 15, said, Lord, is it, is it going to be Eleazar? Remember that in chapter 15? The, the servant of Abraham's house where he thought, well, there's no, there's no biological children. And so if my household is going to be passed down, maybe it's going to be passed down to the, the first of my household, namely my, my chief servant, Eleazar. Lord, is, is that the way this is going to happen? You see, Abraham is interpreting God's purposes through the lens of what Abraham can understand. In chapter 15, it was Eleazar. But in chapter 17, he says, well, if, if it's going to be a son, are you sure, God, it's not? Verse 18, Abraham said, are you sure it's not Ishmael? Remember Ishmael? The, the son born to Abraham by Hagar, Sarah's servant. There's already a child. And he's Ishmael. He's 13 years old at this point in the text. And, and Abraham says to God, uh, let it be him, right? Because he, he's already there. Surely this is the covenant son. He's being purely pragmatic, isn't he? Abraham gets what God is promising, but if it's going to happen, he is reinterpreting God's purposes and says, surely it's, it's, it's this way. And I think we do that too from time to time. You know, God, I, I know that you said, you know, do this, but surely what you really meant is for me to do it this way, whatever the case might be. We reinterpret God's purposes and say, well, if your will is going to be accomplished, let me help you. Let me, let me add my efforts to your will to accomplish your purpose. And that's what we see Abraham doing here. A plan B, an alternate, alternate purpose. God is being very clear here, though, in verses 19 to 21. That it is not Ishmael. And it is not Eleazar from chapter 15. Abram, it's your own son who God speaks of here in this text as if he already exists. Do you notice that? The way that God speaks of this child whose name is Isaac, which in a play on words in, in God's humor, the name means he laughs. As if to say, Abram, you think, you think that my purposes need help? Uh, there is a somewhat of an irony built into your son's name. He's not even here yet, but your son will be Isaac, verse 19, says, No, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. You shall call his name Isaac. God's covenant will be with your son through Sarah, Isaac, and then his children as well. Do you notice that in the end of verse 19? It says, I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. Isaac isn't even here yet, and God is already talking about whom? Uh, Isaac's children. God is saying, Abraham, I have told you that my plan is a plan of generational faithfulness to you and your children and their children. I'm speaking to you of a son who is not here yet, Isaac, and future generations who will be of your household who will also share in the inheritance of my covenant where your children will be my children and I will be their God. All of this is being spoken of a God who is himself outside of time, who speaks to Abraham and says, all these things are as sure as the ground that you stand upon. 
perhaps even more sure. And you must learn. How can you learn to trust me, Abraham? I have been telling you that these things are so, that God is greater than we ever have imagined, and Abraham is perhaps having too little of a comprehension of the greatness of God and of his power, that his thoughts of God are too small, that he is a God who accomplishes what seems impossible, and he does so. Why does God do what seems impossible? He does so not just to demonstrate his power, though that is worthy in and of itself. He does what is impossible to show you that he is great and powerful. That's great. But he also does the impossible to tell you and remind you that beyond a shadow of a doubt, my word is true. I want you to know, Abraham, not just that I'm powerful, but that I am inherently trustworthy in my nature, in my character, as a covenant-keeping God. I am faithful. I want you to know this, Abraham. And what we see in the rest of the chapter is that uh, Abraham responds with obedience. In verses 22 to 27, Abraham obeys that earlier instruction that we saw from verses 19 to 14, where he places the sign of the covenant upon those within his household irrespective of their age, um, irrespective of their nationality, he places the sign of the covenant upon himself and upon those in his household. Now, the narrative of the text is, of course, that God far exceeds our expectations to accomplish his purposes, and this is just further being sealed to Abraham here. But here is the second half that I really want us to see, and uh, I have to acknowledge that I was really... Uh, gripped by this reality and it actually took me a long time to reason my way through it to, to understand what is seen here because there, there is this detail here isn't it that uh, among those who have placed the sign of the covenant upon themselves is included verse 21 uh, sorry onward from verse 21 verse 24 verse 25 Ishmael Ishmael, Ishmael receives the sign of the covenant. Ishmael is circumcised. Now, why should that matter? Because when you look at verse 21, there's, a, there's an inference in the text. Do, do, do you see it? Second half of what we see here, that Abraham follows God's word and places the sign of the covenant upon Ishmael. But what we have learned in verse 21 is that the covenant promise is actually for Isaac rather than Ishmael. And yet the sign is placed upon Ishmael. Now, if, if your wheels are turning, you should start to ask some questions there. The covenant is said to be possessed by inheritance through Abram to Isaac rather than Ishmael. And what I want us to see here in this text, which is really a very important point across all of the Bible, is that there are two kinds of children of Abraham. There are two kinds of children of Abraham. The first kind of child of Abraham is a child of Abraham according to the flesh. 
We'll look at that, and then later on we'll see that there is also a way of being a child of Abraham according to promise. So there are two different kinds of children of Abraham. So, children of Abraham by the flesh. Notice again in chapter 17, verses 24 and 25, there is this emphasis, there is this repeated emphasis that Ishmael is Abraham's son. He is truly, really, his biology, by way of Hagar, of course, Abraham's own son. Now, what do we know about Ishmael? What we know about Ishmael already actually back from chapter 16, if you flip back to chapter 16 briefly, that uh, when Hagar was fleeing from the harshness of Sarah, uh, she went into the wilderness and God met with Hagar there and spoke prophetically about the son that she was carrying, who was Ishmael. And in chapter 16, uh, verse 11... 16 verse 11, it says, The angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son and shall call his name Ishmael. Because the Lord has listened to your afflictions. He shall be, verse 12, a wild donkey of a man. It's quite a description. His hand against everyone. And everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. Now, when looking at verse 12 especially, what do you see there about the descriptive details about who Ishmael is? That there is in his life characteristic of strife and hostility. That there will be animosity between him and others. That's what it means when it says his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. That it is promised that Ishmael will be a, a great man. He will be a strong man. He will be a warrior. But he will be a man of hostility, end of verse 12. That he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. Which is another way of saying that Ishmael will be an enemy of his own flesh and blood. Ishmael shall dwell over against his kinsmen. Now, we, we need to put more detail on who Ishmael is as we seek to understand what's happening in Genesis 17. Go ahead to Genesis 25. We're doing a little bit of flipping around this morning, but that's all right. Follow along. We're in Genesis 25 now. In Genesis 25, Genesis 25, particularly verse 12, Genesis 25, verse 12, we find a description of the generations of Ishmael. So onward into the narrative, uh, after Isaac is born, uh, Abraham, uh, Abraham sends Ishmael away, and Ishmael goes on to do and be everything that God said he would be. Uh, Genesis 25 verse 12 says, These are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian Sarah's servant bore to Abram. And it goes on to list the names of the sons of Ishmael, the, the nations of Ishmael, and uh, all the varied uh, people that come from him. Verse 17 says, These are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years. He breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. They settled, verse 18, from Havilah to Shur, which is opposite Egypt, in the direction of Assyria. He settled over against all his kinsmen, which is the same language from chapter 16. And it is being affirmed here that Ishmael receives all of these blessings, that uh, he has all of these nations that come from him and these princes. 
Uh, it's repeating this language from Genesis 16 and Genesis 17, verses 20 and 21. These nations, these princes, these people. And onward in the scriptures, the name of Ishmael is then associated with a people called, uh, obviously, the Ishmaelites, the descendants of Ishmael, who are also called in other places the Midianites. And just as a quick aside, uh, it was actually to the Ishmaelites that Joseph's brother said, hey, let's sell this guy to slavery to the Ishmaelites. So the Ishmaelites have this reputation by way of Ishmael. Now, why, why am I pointing all these things out as you go back to Genesis 17? We're trying to see the, 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 the narrative in the midst of the narrative that Ishmael's roots, his family line, come from Abram. He is a son of Abraham. He is raised and nurtured within the covenant family. Ishmael grows up in Abraham's house. Abraham places the sign of the covenant upon his son in obedience to God. But Ishmael's life shows that he is a son of Abraham only according to the flesh. And so therefore we can say that Ishmael does not embrace the God of the covenant and embrace the covenant from his heart. He does not follow Yahweh. He does not submit to Yahweh, the God of the covenant. Ishmael is marked then as a son of Abraham throughout biblical history as a, let it be said, an unbeliever. Though visibly associated with the covenant family, Ishmael does not believe. What is significant about that? Because we saw in Genesis 17, verse 21, that God's covenant will be with Isaac and by inference, not with Ishmael. Even though Ishmael is the older son, in proper order, it should have gone to Abraham's oldest son. Even though Ishmael certainly receives a fair amount of blessings in his life, he's made into a great nation and a great people. Nevertheless, his life is marked with unbelief. So, Again, who is Ishmael? Ishmael is the one who receives the sign of the covenant outwardly, but does not embrace it inwardly. He receives the physical sign, but because he does not embrace what the sign signifies, he does not receive the blessings of it. So therefore, his circumcision stands as a witness against his unbelief that he would be cut off from his people because he has broken the covenant by way of unbelief. So, let me bring this immediately into our context and apply it very quickly. And a number of you have probably already arrived there to understand where I'm going with this. Who is Ishmael? Who is Ishmael? Ishmael is a child who has been baptized, but who has not been nurtured in covenant faith. Ishmael is a child whose parents said, hey, let's go do that spiritual thing with no intention to nurture the covenant in their life 
to then call that child to embrace the covenant from the heart, the visible sign of the covenant bears witness against the child and the parents that they have not obeyed from the heart, that they have only embraced the covenant outwardly, not inwardly by faith. It's just an external action. It doesn't have an internal reality to it. We want to baptize our child, but we will not observe the Lord's Day with them. We won't make it a priority to bring them to Sunday school. We won't make sure that our children are in worship. That is characteristic of, let it be said, Ishmael, someone who bears the sign of the covenant but refuses obedience to the God of the covenant. So, do you see the warning in this text? It is not enough to be a child of Abraham according to the flesh. It's not enough to just be a son of Abraham outwardly. And the New Testament is constantly making this point. In fact, Romans chapter 9 is all about this very point. Romans chapter 9 verse 8 says this. Listen to it. It is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise who are counted as offspring. And when Paul writes that, he is saying, not Ishmael, but Isaac. Even though Ishmael is a son according to the flesh, it is Isaac who is the son according to promise. So there are children of Abraham. The conclusion of this sermon was unfortunately abruptly cut off because of insufficient space on our recording memory card. We apologize for the inconvenience. And if you would like notes on the conclusion of this sermon, please contact our church offices. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.